Hi, are you a gifted or twice exceptional adult who feels a bit stuck in your journey? Do you have goals and dreams which you would love to achieve, but you don't know where to start or feel a little bit overwhelmed? Or maybe you have a thousand ideas, 500 projects, and get distracted by your own thoughts and would love some support on focus and accountability? Whatever gets you stuck, I wholeheartedly believe that gifted and twice exceptional specific coaching will help you unleash your power so that you can be your most authentic gifted self. I recently embarked on my journey on becoming a gifted and twice exceptional coach. So if you are interested in working with me one-on-one, please reach out via email at hello at giftedunleashed.com or you can find more information about my coaching offers on the website giftedunleashed.com forward slash coaching. I would love working with you and I would love to get you unstuck. So please reach out and let's get started. Hello and welcome to Unleash Monday, where we talk about the brain, especially the gifted brain, and how does it affect our thinking and experience of the world differently. There are a lot of stereotypes and stigma around giftedness, and I'm here to challenge those. I'm here to raise awareness and to have a conversation around this topic of what does it mean to be a gifted adult. Common experience among gifted folks is that they feel out of place. They don't quite fit in. They are too sensitive, too intense, too emotional, too overexcitable, and too deep thinkers about the world and about themselves. If you have been called too much of about anything, then this show is for you. My name is Nadia. I'm too loud, too colorful, too bubbly, too bossy, and love to talk too much. So welcome to my world, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Daniel Levin on the show, and he has lived at least 10 different lives in a single lifetime. He has such an interesting and inspiring story that I cannot wait to share this interview with you. He has tested in the genius category in school when he was only six years old. And then he left the opportunity to run a multi-billion company to hitchhike around the world and to find inner peace and happiness. And in that time, he studied five years in a seminary in Jerusalem and left one day before he was about to be ordained. Then he lived as a monk in a monastery for 10 years. And later, he grew a company from $3 million in revenue a year to $100 million a year. Later, he also wrote a book called The Mosaic. His book is really a reflection of his life. And we will talk about a few of his different life stages in the interview, but the time we had was limited, so we can only scratch the surface. But with no further ado, I want to introduce you to Danny, who was so generous to be with me today. Welcome, Danny, to the show. I'm so happy to have you. Hi, Nadia. It is my honor and pleasure. Like, I just see your smile. You know, when you walk into a room and you see somebody, you get to know so much about them just from your first impression. And even though your first impression is never all there is, you just have such a warm, loving, inviting presence about you. It's just so welcoming. And I feel just so happy to be here with you. So thank you for having me here. Oh, thank you. This just made my day. (laughs) So I'm also very super curious to hear about your story. And I'm very interested to see where this conversation is going to go. I love it. But before we talk about all that you do today and jump into discussing your book, you already sent me like five sentences of who you are in an email, and it sounded like five lives. Oh, yeah, no. (laughs) It was crazy. So would you mind just talking us a little bit through your whole journey and even start in like first grade, where I think you were identified as a gifted, intellectually gifted child? Yeah. So I've had the opportunity to live probably a thousand different lifetimes, just this lifetime. I so often wish that I just lived down the street from my parents and I went into my dad's business because it seemed like such a beautiful, simple way to live life. What did he do? My dad was just, he he was poor. He sold glass 
big glass like windows and in in the days of his doing that shopping malls didn't exist and shopping malls were just starting to come into existence like in switzerland maybe they don't have them but in america they have these big shopping malls and so glass windows were like this you know for store windows were huge but he never really made it he died he died getting us everything we wanted but not having anything for himself but he was my hero i was a mini me version of him and so when he passed away it just impacted me so deeply i was 13 years old and when he passed away i was devastated my mom was much more like danny I can see you are not like everybody else. My dad was, you're not like everybody else. That's fabulous. You know, be yourself, do your thing. Don't worry what anybody else thinks. My mom was always like, oh, you got to worry what other people think. You got to live in the world the way you got to do it. And I remember a story that I just want to share with you that I can tell you about when I realized that I was tested to be in the genius category of IQ. And it came about because every Friday I would sit on the back lawn and I would watch at four years old, I would watch the trash men come. And in those days, they stood on the back of the truck on both sides and one would come to one side, pick up the cans and throw it in the truck. And I sat there every day and I would watch them. Every Friday they would come, I would be there when they came and I would wave to them and I would watch them. And so finally, after about six months, one of them came down and said, hey, would you like to go on the truck with us for around the block and my mom was watching from the kitchen window and said danny danny don't get on the truck and <laughs> it's because they were not from the same part of town that we were from even though we weren't wealthy they were from an even less wealthy area right and i said mom it's okay I, I've, I've been waiting all this time to, for this opportunity this is like heaven to me and they they stood by me so i wouldn't fall off and and i got down and they helped them pick up the cans and put the trash in and then came the magic moment. They said, Danny, we're going to let you push the button that grinds the trash. I was like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. And I came back and I said, Mom, I want to be a trash man when I grow up. This is like, this is what I, I love. I don't know why it is. I just love this. I want to do this. I want to be that. And she sat me down at the kitchen table and she said, Danny, there's no way in the world we're going to let you be a trash man. You have a genius IQ. You have to use your mind to do something bigger than do that. Nadia, what is really interesting to me is what I've realized over the course of my lifetime, I've become a trash man. What's happened is I may not go house to house and collect canisters of trash. But what I do do is I hold this receptacle for people. And I invite them to put everything that hurts them, all their pains, all their suffering all the things that keep them limited and what they think they can't do. And I just invite them to put it into this trash can. And the beautiful thing, they might even come to me and say, Danny, you're the reason why I'm feeling so much pain. And if they say that to me, I, I don't stand up and defend myself at that point. I don't rationalize it. I don't push it away. I say, really, just tell me more. Put it all right here in this trash can. Because the compassionate moment that happens when that happens is I want you to feel for one minute what it feels like for you not to have to carry all that trash inside of you. I want you to feel how free you feel when you no longer think you can't do something or you're not good enough or this pain that you've had, all that time is gone because everything in the world is reversible. Nothing that you have is something you have to have for any time longer than this moment. So just put it all right here in this trash can and just let go of it. And I realized in writing the book, The Mosaic, one of the characters, obviously, is the trash man. And that's the trash that he collects. And I realized, oh, my God, there he is. There's my God. There I am. And I'm sorry, Mom. I became a trash man. So, but when you say, like, your mom, they had you tested? Or was it so clear, like, it was just... No, we, we were in school and the school, the testings that we do now in school are for them to get funding. What they do now, and we have kids, so I, I see what they do. They tell the kids what's going to be on the tests. They drill the tests. They study what's going to be on the tests. They let them 
reference what's going to be on the test so that they get high scores on the test. When I went to school, they didn't do it that way. They gave us tests to understand where we belonged, in which classes we belonged. So at an early age, they gave me a test. By the time I was in first grade, they said, you don't belong in first grade. You test higher than first grade. So I actually skipped a grade and I went into third grade. So I went from like first part of first grade to the second part of third grade. So I skipped a year and a half of school. So basically all of the school material came easy to you. So it wasn't just math, but it was any subject that was more easily accessible to you. And I thought what a blessing that is because I just like really crazy story. You mind if I tell a crazy story? Sure. That's why we're here. So I remember being tested in math and I finished the test before anybody in the class. I mean, it was minutes and I finished the test and I went to the teacher and I handed my paper and I said, I'm finished. She said, but you don't have any work here on the paper. How do you know these answers? And I said, I can't tell you how I got there. I just know them. I instinctively know what the answers are to the questions. I could probably take the time to write everything down, but I don't know it. She said, okay, come with me to the principal's office. She thought you were cheating. She, she knew I was cheating. She took me to the principal's office and the principal said, Danny, we're going to have to expel you. We have zero tolerance for cheating here. And I said, I'm sorry, but I just didn't cheat. I mean, I, I understand why you would think I'm like, I'm like six years old. I said, I, I understand why you think I did it because the work isn't there. I don't, I can't tell you how I know what the answers are. They said, well, we can, you got them from somebody else. I mean, how can you know the answers that quickly without, and you don't do any of the work here. How can you know the answers? I said, I don't have that answer for you, but I can tell you I do know the answers. They said, we're going to call your mom. You're expelled from school. I said, okay, you know, I have to do what you say to do. I mean, I'm six years old. What am I going to do? But let's do an experiment until my mom gets here. Why don't you give me 10 more questions and lock me in a room and you know that I don't have the answers to those. Give me 10 more questions and give me 20 minutes in that room. At 10 minutes, I knocked on the door. And they said, are you going to admit that you cheated? I said, no, I'm actually done with the work that you gave me. And they said, how is that possible? There's no work on here. I said, isn't that why we're sitting in the room? We're sitting in the room because you think I cheated. Well, who would I have cheated from? There's nobody here. Nobody knew I had these questions. Nobody gave me those answers. They said, oh, my God, we're so sorry. My mom came and said, well, Danny, what's, what's going on? Because she was all worried about being everybody, you know, everybody felt good about us. And they said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. We, we just realized your son's basically a genius. And we thought he was cheating because he got done with his exam so quickly. What we have to figure out is how does he know these things? Because he can't actually even write down how he got from point A to point B. He just understands the answers. School was so easy for me. And I thought, what a blessing. But it turns out years later, I wish it would have been a little harder because I didn't study that much. Yep. It was just so easy that I thought, I don't need to do too much. Yeah. Welcome to the gifted world. (laughs) Yes. So you know that world. I know that world, and I was only identified gifted uh, a couple of months ago. So I was not a math genius, although in like, you know, first grade, math was also kind of easy. I was always done first, and I started talking to my neighbors, and I was always talking because I guess I was bored. I was done with work, and so I got always scolded because I was just, you know, talking too much. But nobody ever took the time here in Switzerland to to get me tested for an IQ or for anything. I was just, yeah, told to be quiet and just wait. <laughs> and then when I was also older, like uh, at 18 years old, I also dropped out of school because I was never taught how to study. <laughs> yeah. And once going gets tough, then you get you give up easily because then interests change and there were other things I would like to do instead of studying. So yeah, it's only now that through a story, my friend told me that I realized I could relate and she was identified by accident while she was in therapy. She, she's a pain patient and then she had a company therapy 
And basically, her therapist told her, well, these issues are not because of her pain or her medication. This is because she's gifted. And she was like, what? Wow. <laughs> and so that's where the whole podcast started. So that's then when, yeah, I realized, whoa, there's a whole group of adults that are unidentified gifted. And we have all these pain points. It's not that we're genius or that math came easy. Actually, mental calculation is difficult for me. But when you give me like integrals and like the higher math that I could do, I understood the concepts. So that's when I thought, okay, I need to have a podcast where, you know, to share these stories. And also here in Switzerland, I talk to especially women and I, I work in the academic field. So there's a lot of gifted right. people there, like we they're doing like mathematical modeling and they were identified in school. But then nobody told them that being gifted, it's not just, oh, you're good at math, but this has really an effect on all steps of your life. Yeah. So this is where I want to take our conversation to really see how your giftedness really affected your journey. Because now that I read a few books about giftedness, had some conversation with people that are really in this field, like therapists and coaches and psychologists. Reading your CV for me, even if you didn't say I'm gifted, (laughs) it's totally clear to me that this is somebody with a mind that is just seeking complexity, right? Yeah, yeah. I was actually, it's so interesting to hear you say it because I would have said my whole life was seeking simplicity because I had all the complexity I needed. I always saw the world so differently than everybody else in, in my life saw the world. For a long time, I felt isolated because I felt like, wow, how is it possible that nobody else sees this? I mean, it's just so obvious to me that this is the way it is. And what it's really done in some ways, and it's only like now I'm an older man, so I'm realizing as I look back on my life, when I reflect on it, I see my life a little bit differently than I did. My situation was I was always great at starting things because I knew when things needed to be started. But then what happened is I already saw where they were going to go. And then you're done. And then I was done. But what I missed was just like in that example that I gave you at school, I, I didn't give much time to the middle of the journey. And the, the middle between when you start something and when it closes is where every experience of life has its richness and its fullness. It's what fills in your mosaic, so to speak. It fills it in with all the pieces, all the experiences, all the interactions, all the love and all the pain and all the joy and all the sadness is all in that middle. But I never really knew that because I I would start something, I would see the end, I would get to the end and I would say, okay, it's time to start again. Yeah, that's a totally gifted trait, apparently. I heard that from different people that once you already start, you already pictured it all. You had it all in your mind. It's done. You're ready to move on. Yeah, I would actually even finish it. I would see it, I would do it, and it would be done. And people would say, well, hold it. How did you do that? And I said, I have no idea because I, I wasn't able to conceptualize the middle practice. And in my book, The Mosaic, you'll see the mosaic's really my life because one of the characters is called the traveler. And the traveler says, in everything in life, there's three things that happen. What do you think those three things are? Well, you're born, you live, and you die. Okay. So, (laughs) So very clear. What she told me, which is very similar to that, which most people don't get, is there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to everything that happens. So you're right. Something's born and something lives and something dies, a beginning, a middle, and end. Most people will tell me, well, there's love and there's compassion and there's all this blah, 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 blah. But really, it's so simple. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. But in my life, I miss the middle. I went from beginning to end. I'm shocked to hear you say that because you lived like five different lives. <laughs> but they happened. Would be The reason I could live five different lives is I didn't waste time in the middle. You compressed them. Like I, I realized, hold it, this is what I want. This is where I know, I see where it's going. I'm not, I don't have to take the time to do that because I don't, I, I see where it's going. It's not where I'm going to be. And what I realized again, in the, and I don't mean to keep talking about the mosaic, but the mosaic 
tied the pieces of my brilliant mind together through the simplicity of its story. I finally found the simplicity that I was looking for because what I realized is my parents that passed away when I was a kid that I tried to understand what that happened, I couldn't understand it. And what I realized in writing the book is that I asked the adults, where did my parents go? Where are they? And they told me they were in this place called heaven. So my tendency was, if I know they're in heaven, I got to get to heaven. I got to find that place. But I didn't know how to do that. So I set out on a journey to find heaven. So I had a chance to run a multi-billion dollar company, but I walked away from it because it wasn't the heaven I was looking for. I had a chance, my mentor in college started organizational psychology. He said, well, if we're doing psychology for people, why don't we do it for organizations? I had hair down to my waist. I said, are you kidding? This is not, I'm not that person. No organization is going to want me anywhere near them. And he said, no, Danny, you have the mind for it. This is what we need to do. We need to take the practice and bring it into organizational psychology. And he wanted me to be his person that he handed it over to and work with him and do it and create it with him. And I walked away from it because it didn't have the answers I was looking for. I hitchhiked around the world thinking I would find it in the people of the world. And I did. I loved it. But it didn't have the answers I was looking for. I went to rabbinical school. I studied to be a rabbi. And one day before I became a rabbi, I left because it didn't have the answers I was looking for. I sat 10 years in a monastery as a monk, and it didn't have the answers I was looking for. Everything had some of the answers I was looking for. What I ended up finding through the course of sitting with this story is that what I was looking for wasn't a place or a thing. It was a change of a perspective. It was being able to see what I saw differently. Can you describe this a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, I can. Thank you for asking. Have you ever seen the picture? It's a black and white picture. It's a drawing. And one way it looks like an old hag, and the other way it looks like a young socialite? Yes. Okay. So when you see that picture, when you sit down, you tend to see one image. You either see the old hag or the socialite. I first saw the old hag. And so my friend who was with me said, well, that's crazy. I'm looking at the same picture and I see a socialite. I said, no, what are you talking about? She's old. She's got a chin. She's got this little thing on her. And, you know, there's no way in the world you could call this a socialite. And he said, no, I I don't even see what you see. I, I, I don't know how you look at the same picture. Well, there was a moment where I suddenly flashed and I said, I see it. I see the socialite now. And I can no longer see the old hag. Well, that picture to me is such a brilliant, simple example of how our minds think. Because when we see what we see, it not only makes us believe that that's what is, it actually blocks everything else that we could see at the same time. So it wasn't that the socialite wasn't in that picture. She was. The old hag was in there, but I could only see one thing. Well, what would happen if we moved ourselves out of the way and saw what we couldn't see? In the story, again, of the mosaic, I went to these common ordinary people because the people that I met to show me heaven were not the clergy and the swamis and the gurus and the medicine women and men or the aborigines elders. They were the homeless man and this road worker and the trash man and the street artist and the waitress and the gardener. And I thought, what am I sitting with these people for? What are they going to tell me about heaven? They're common, ordinary people. But when I sat and I listened to them tell me their stories, what I realized is the person that I saw wasn't at all the person that they were. They were totally different than who I thought they were. Just like that picture. I saw the old hag. I never saw the young socialite when I saw them. But when I listened to them tell me who they were, I saw a completely new version of them. And in that moment where I switched from seeing the way the world was to seeing the way the world actually is, I wondered what would happen if I removed myself from the vision I see of the world that I see? What would I actually see? What does the world actually look like without my perception of it blocking what the world looks like? And that was for me the heaven that I found that place where I got out of the way and I could see what the world was and then re-see what the world was and then re-see what the world was. Does that make sense to you at all? Yeah. I think it's also kind of lifting 
prejudice in some way, right? We're taught a certain way to behave and see the world a certain way. And once you go out of your comfort zone, and as you say, you listen to different people, or you go and you travel and you meet people from different cultures, and you realize, well, they might look different, they might eat something a little bit different, but deep down, we're all the same. We all want the same thing. We all want to be loved. We all want happiness and we all want the best for our children. Yes. That's yes. all we want. So that's true. Now remove it from people. Now think about it as what does your business want? Do you realize that everything in the world is speaking to you? you no, it's not only just money. It really is not just money. And that perceptual shift when you like, story can i again another story are yeah. you okay with okay so when i wrote the mosaic the mosaic's roughly based on my life i took a few exaggerations but it's basically my story the characters are based on people that i met everything i, I told the story the way i thought the story should be told i thought it would take me about six weeks to eight weeks to write because i had written stories like that i'd written them for hotels and i'd written them for other people and I thought, this is my story. It's going to be very easy to do. How long did it take you? Two and a half years later, I didn't have the book done. And I'm sitting with it because what would happen is I would save files and they would be not saved in the morning. I would write what I thought was absolutely brilliant and the file was corrupted and I couldn't get it. My computer crashed and everything was savable except the book that I had written. So as we're talking in a Zoom call now, you seem real to me. I don't know. You may be a figment of my imagination, but you seem pretty real. The characters of the book came to me as if in a Zoom conversation. These were not real people. These were characters that I made up based on real people. But it wasn't like I was talking to the guy that was the this, this story on the trash man. One by one, they came and they, I said to them, what is happening? Why have you made this so hard for me? I'm writing what I think is a good book and you're destroying it. Why? And they said to me, because we don't want to say what you're writing for us to say. If you would listen to us, your book will be done in 30 days. Listen to what we want to say and write what we want to say, not what you think we should say. I said, I'm sorry, with all due respect, you are characters that I created. I have a right to say what I want you to say. And they said, continue to do it. It'll take you another five years and you still won't be done. Listen. Listen to what we're saying to you and you will hear what we're saying. 30 days to the day the book was done when I listened. So what did that say to me? If characters that I made up that had no reality to them could become real enough that they could actually talk to me and tell me what they think, what else had reality to it that if I would listen to it would actually give me a sense of what would be possible? Would my body be able to talk to me? Would my business be able to talk to me? Would the earth itself be able to talk to me? Would a sunrise be able to tell me something? Would the buds on a tree be able to tell me something if I would actually sit and listen? Would the dog that's passing me by on the street be able to actually say something to me if I could listen? Would I be able to understand, not because I was a genius mind, but because I was an intuitive now and an empath, would I be able to feel what this world is actually wanting when it continues to tell me what it wants and I don't listen to it? I have a developmentally delayed daughter. She can't speak like you and I speak. When she tries to say something and I don't understand her, she says it louder. When she says it louder and I don't understand her, she'll throw a tantrum. When she throws a tantrum and I don't understand her, she'll attack. She'll either bite herself or try and bite me or try and rip something or try and destroy something. I thought I was pretty smart. I was a genius. I couldn't understand what the heck was going on with her. Finally, in the midst of her rage as she was coming to try and attack me one day, I said, Elisa, I love you more than anything in the world. You are the most important person in my life. I want to hear you. I want to understand you. I just can't understand what you're saying. Can you speak to me in a way that doesn't use words? And from the midst of her rage, she stopped. Big smile came onto her face. And she looked at me and said in perfect English, 
I am daddy. I said, I'm sorry, what the heck are you talking about? You are daddy. How are you doing that? And she put her finger to the side of her head. And I said, you little son of a gun, have you been putting thoughts in my head? And she just started laughing. After 15 years of trying to get me to see that she was talking fluently to me, telepathically, and I couldn't understand her struggle to get words out of her mouth, she was now able to speak to me. And I thought, oh, my God, had it stopped there, it would have been great because she never had it. She never yelled. She never tantrumed. She never attacked after that. Not one time. And so then I thought, hold it. I'm going to get greedy. I wonder if the rest of the world is like my daughter. I wonder what happens when people don't get to listen to and heard. Well, I took it into businesses. I took it into families. I took it into prisons. I took it into hospitals. I took it into government. When people don't feel heard, they yell. When they yell, they throw a tantrum. How do you say tantrum? They throw a tantrum. They, then they throw a tantrum, right? And they create havoc and they create chaos. And then when that doesn't work, they try and destroy something. They'll they'll, they'll blow up a building. They'll shoot. They, they'll shoot people in the Times Square. They'll ruin a marriage. They'll ruin a business. They'll ruin the reputation of a person. And I watched it. So I thought, how interesting that this little developmentally delayed kid who is the opposite of genius, they tell her her IQ is, is, you know, under 70, had figured out how to solve the problems of the world by just listening. When we listen to what the world's saying to us, it doesn't, you don't think the earth is trying to say something to us? We're just not listening. It's going through those same stages. It speaks, it yells, it tantrums, it attacks. Is our business doing the same thing? This is a really interesting question. I've never thought about this. Yeah. Yeah. But it makes total sense. And what I love for particularly your podcast is how does the IQ of someone that the world thinks is stupid communicate to the IQ of someone the world thinks is a genius and come up with a new way of seeing life based on the art of listening and finding a way to hear what everything is saying that would then solve the problems that exist in the world unequivocally. Hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, what talking to professionals and psychologists, they now say, you know, these traditional IQ tests are also very outdated. They have their limits and their merits, but today they don't really test your IQ it's more a conversation and they try to see how you see the world exactly like this whole complexity and you don't think linear like when you have a thought it goes in all yeah all directions and also being sensitive being empathetic being this overexcitability is one part but doesn't have to be so this intuition is more I love that. I, I should I should put my focus on sort of what's going on in that world because I've le- I I sort of left it a little bit. So you're inspiring me to come back into it. Yeah, you should. I had a few conversations of people that were part of Mensa or tried to join Mensa. Where you, you heard of Mensa before? Oh, of course. Yeah. No, of course. But there is more kind of like this elite thinking, and people were not so happy about it. And you need to have like a certain IQ to be part of it. Yeah. But there's now really a growing community yeah. of people that identify as gifted and you don't need to have a test not to listen to my yeah. podcast, you don't. And so just it's more about the pain point. It's not like, oh, we're better than everybody else. It's it's actually yeah. the opposite, which is different and especially misunderstood. And as you said, it can be very, very lonely yeah. if you're 2% of the population and you're at the time when you grow up, you're not, you know, surrounded by people like you. But now with the internet and Zoom calls, we can all connect more easily. But it's still, when I heard about this, I mean, I didn't have a traumatic childhood in any way, but I still like looking back first, I thought it was kind of like a puzzle piece. But now it's more like it's a red threat. It really goes through all my life. And I'm like, oh, yeah. this is why. And so now I just feel like 
it would make such a difference in other people's lives to just know that about themselves, to see themselves in a more positive light and be more also, how do you say, like, not generous, but more empathetic with oneself. Yeah. What do you say? Like, oh, I went <laughs> to Jerusalem and I want to become a rabbi. And then one day before, you're like, oh, no, I really would like to hear what went on in your in your mind at that moment where you decided to walk away from it. And this is really the gifted thing, I I believe. <laughs> I'm happy to tell you the story. It's a crazy story. And I don't know. But I'll tell it. Why not? I, I have I have zero desire for anybody to think of me one way or another. When I was in college, everything was easy for me. And so what I realized is that my mind was not being occupied by the way the world occupied their mind. And I wondered if there was something that I could do, some situation that I could do, some drugs that I could take, some experiences that I could have that would allow me to shift the way my mind was able to see the world because I was bored with the world that I saw. And I ended up, it was the 60s. It was the late 60s, early 70s. And so at that point in time, you know, drugs were starting to become a part of that culture. And so I did a lot of mushrooms. I did a lot of, of LSD. You know, I come from the city where LSD was created. Really? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and what happened for me is when suddenly, like the whole world that I thought was real was not, there was another world. It's like when I walk to the ocean now, we live by the ocean. When I walk to the ocean and I look at the ocean, it's beautiful. When I put on a snorkel and I start to look what's happening in, in the waters of the ocean, it's amazing. When my wife scuba dives, there's a whole other world that exists there that we don't even know it really exists. It's a world that's independent of the world that we think we live in, even though we're destroying it through our pollution and things that we're doing. We're destroying it because we don't know it exists. Well, LSD had that same thing. I would look around and go, whoa, hold it. What, what is actually real now? Was what is real what I saw before? Or is, or is this real now that the veil has been lifted? And so when I was traveling, I, I went off drugs because I wanted to be able to experience that reality on my own without having to take a drug because then it was gone. Somehow, a friend that I knew in college, I have no idea how he found me. I had never kept in touch with him. I never had anything to do with him. I hadn't seen him in five or six years. I received a letter from him. And inside the letter, I opened it up and it said, I thought you might need these now. And it was two tabs of windowpane acid. I have no idea how he knew where I was. I had no idea how he found me. I was in Jerusalem, Israel. We were in school in Los Angeles, and it was six years later. And so I went to the Rebbe, and I said, Rebbe, you know I'm having some difficulties with whether I should get ordained or not, because I was en route to India when I stopped there. So I have some belief systems that don't coincide 100% with what you're teaching me. And... My friend from six years miraculously sent me two tabs of acid. I don't know why he did. I don't know how he did. I don't know how he even found me. I won't take it if you tell me not to take it. The Rebbe said, well, what would you like to do? I said, of course, I would like to take it. I think it would show me a different perspective here. So he said, you can't take it in Jerusalem. Take your study partner and go to the desert and take it in the desert. So I went to my buddy, my study partner, who was an old hippie like me. And I said, you're not going to believe what you have to do with me right now. He was married and had like six kids. And I said to him, um, you got to come to the desert with me. We're going to take acid today. And he said, what are, you, what are you talking about? I said, the Rebbe told me I had to go with you and we had to take this acid together. He said, I'll be ready in 10 minutes. He went up, told his wife, he said, I got to go with Danny to the desert. He didn't tell her what's going on. We went to the desert. <laughs> and we got to the desert. And we went to this place called An Gedi. In Israel, there's a natural oasis in the middle of the desert where you climb up and there's these beautiful waterfalls and ponds and areas. And then you climb up higher and there's more waterfalls and more ponds. So we climbed up in the evening and we got to the second level of, of that place so that we could sleep there and wake up and drop acid that next morning. And we would have freedom because nobody would get to that place for a little while. 
So here we were, two yeshiva boys, Orthodox Jewish boys, sitting stark naked on this in this pond, in this river, in this like lake, and we dropped acid. And I'm sitting there, and we're talking, and he said, Danny, we really got to get going because people are going to start to come up. We got to go up to the next level, and we're sitting here naked, and we can't, you know, this is not respectful. And I looked at him, and I said, hold it. There's no way we're going to be able to go. He was standing in a little stream of water, but I saw it as a raging white water. I said, Benzion, there's no way we're going to be able to make it. You're in white water. And he said, Danny, it's just a little stream. And I said, which one of us sees it correctly? Like, I see it as white water. You see it as a stream. He said, I'm standing in it. I can tell you I'm not fighting the waters here. So trust me, come with me. So I trusted him, and he was right. We walked up to the next level. And when we got to the next level, there were two mountain ranges. And he pointed me, and he said, Danny, do you see what I see on the mountain range over there? And I said, oh, my God, my decision's made. There's Abraham, there's Isaac, and there's Jacob. They're standing there. As much as I can see you now and think you're real, they were real. I saw them. And he said, well, I think your decision's made then. huh? Let's go. Let's just relax now. Take it easy. And let's start to get dressed, start to make our way down the mountain. And as I turned to go down the mountain, I said, oh, no, Benzion, look on that mountain ridge. And I said, do you, do you see what I see? And he said, oh, my God, there's Jesus and Buddha and Krishna. And I said, hold it, but you don't believe in them. You, like, I understand that we see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob because we both put, you, you, you're telling me right now you see what I see, that you see Jesus and Buddha and Krishna right there? He said, yeah, I do. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I said, well, what does that mean? He said, I think it means whatever decision you make, you're blessed. You just have to make the decision. But you're standing here like you were at that stream, scared to make the decision to move forward because you don't know what's going to happen. So I jumped into this big oasis of water, and I literally felt like it was a womb. And I was in that womb, and in that womb, I knew that I had to leave that day. I had to leave the seminary, and I went back to the Rebbe, and I said to him, Rebbe, I am so sorry because I love you so much, but I have to leave today. And he said, I love you. I respect you. I wish your decision was other than it was, but I respect you. You've always been, you know, observant. You've always done what you tried to do and do it to the best of your ability. I think you're making the wrong decision, but that's not my decision to tell you. I honor it. And so I left that day one day before I was going to be ordained. Wow. Thank you for sharing this. This is not what I expected, but it's very inspiring. (laughs) Don't be sorry. Like, there's always a story to the story, isn't it? Yes, yes. (laughs) And, And what, so what does the person listening to that story get to take away from it? And so what I would like to invite you to think about is this, some of the things that we toil over, some of the decisions that we think are so hard to make because of the doctrines we believe in or the philosophies that we think are real, given the opportunity, they may not be as hard as we think. Suddenly, when you can see differently, which was clearly, they were, that, those were mountain ranges. They weren't Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They weren't Jesus and Buddha and Krishna. They were mountain ranges with three peaks on each side. But suddenly, for that moment in time, they were the forefathers of Judaism and the founders of three major religions. And when you see differently, you know that it's real because of how much it touches you. It it was strong enough to make me say, I'm one day away from being ordained. I can't stay here and get ordained. I have to leave because it wouldn't be honorable to my teacher to be ordained knowing what I know now. Thousands of lifetimes in one lifetime. Yeah, and we only scratched the surface, but we've been talking like 50 minutes already. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and time just flew by. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much for sharing like this side of your story. And But before we leave, 
Would you like to share where people can find you and your book? Yes. I'm going to send you links if I haven't already done so, so that you'll have them in show notes so that they can look at it so they don't have to. I'm also going to send you my email if anybody wants to get in touch with me. And I would love to further conversations with you because I love the work that you're doing and I would like to replant myself in your little garden of people that are seeing the world through a gifted perspective and see how we can play together. Because I believe that Margaret Mead once said that all throughout all of time, a small group of people have been the ones that have come together that have changed the way the world has been seen. I had a feeling as we started talking and you were telling me what you're doing, that that small group of people may be some of the people that are listening to your podcast. And I would like to invite you and invite me and invite them to start to see how we can do some stuff together because clearly the gifted people in this world, my daughter, who is my daughter's development of the late, she's called the gifted child because she sees what other people don't see. Yeah, she has a totally different perspective of the world. Yes. And just because what we consider normal, what 80% of the people see, makes everybody else abnormal. Yes. It's just yeah. a term we use, right? So. 100,000%. And so I would like to plant some seeds to the community of your people that I would like to be a part of, of what do we do to play together to create a world where we're able to share what we see with people who can't see it and where we start to see the way other people see the world that we can't see. And what would that start to look like? My book's available through Amazon. You can get me on my websites that you're going to have in the show notes. So, But those are really, like, I'm really touched by what you're doing. Thank you. I'm also very inspired of what you do. And I'm so looking forward to reading your book. I actually haven't read your book because Amazon is only going to deliver it on Monday. <laughs> no, Okay. <laughs> but I've been reading some of the reviews and also the the summary. It also will be available on audio. It's sitting in Audible right now. So it's in the next few weeks. The audio version of it will be available too. So that's great. Oh, that's really great. Will you hear. promise me that we'll stay in touch, Nadia? Yes, please. I would really like that. Yes. And I would also encourage you to listen to some of my episodes. My podcast has only just been out for a couple of episodes. I'm only doing them every second week because I have a job and yes. I do this on the side. But I talk to some very inspiring people and I think some of them might really inspire you as well. I, I will start to sign up for it and subscribe to it. So absolutely. I love that. And thank you so much for your time and for being here my absolute honor. I think I said to you the moment I saw you that I was touched by how easy your presence is to be with. I understand a lot better now why, because you're of like mind with me in a way that's beautiful. And I appreciate you. And this is what they also say, like the gifted people, like not that we're like a different species, but somehow we understand each other without saying yeah. much, right? Yeah. Because our brains just function in a similar way. Yeah. But yeah, it was really great talking to you and hearing your story. My honor. Really my honor. Thank you so much. Wow. I'm blown away. I love the seeds of thoughts that he planted in my head. And I'm sure I will be thinking about it some more. I also read his book. In the meantime, I can only recommend. He tried to simplify the world in his stories with these conversations with people that he had. And don't be fooled by the simplicity because it's the complexity underneath. So I'm curious what you think about it. Please keep the conversation going. And if you want to see more about Danny, then please go to daniellebrucelevin.com. All the details of his website and his podcast and the book, I will put them in the show notes so you can go and click the links there. You can also find more information on the podcast on my website. It's unleashmonday.com. 
And you find me also on Instagram at unleash.monday. So I'm really curious to hear what your thoughts are. And if you would like to share your story on the podcast, or if you know somebody who would like to be on the show, you can always write me an email at hello at unleashmonday.com. I'm super curious to hear from you. I might be a little bit slow in answering sometimes, but don't take it personally. I'm really happy to hear all your thoughts, but it's been a very, very busy time. I've been doing a lot of things in the background on the podcast, but also in my day job and working on the social media and everything. So it's slowly, slowly coming together, putting all the gears into place. So have a little bit of patience if you reach out, but I'm really happy to hear from you all. And I see you in two weeks. Have a wonderful week. Bye. Bye.